Hello, welcome back to Burgers, Beers and Books, Books, Beers and Burgers, all of the things that we all love. I'm Ben Hobson and this is the podcast where I interview your favourite authors about their favourite books. I was so stoked to talk to Ashley Collagen Blunt this month for the podcast and I think one of the things I enjoyed the most about Ashley beyond her amazing, awesome personality beyond that was just digging into her work ethic. She is one of these people who manages to be organized and on top of things and she does multiple things and she does them all really, really well. She has this excellent quality. She brings this excellence to everything she does creatively and I really dived into that because just selfishly I wanted to know as much about that as I could. So yeah, I hope you guys get a lot out of this episode and I guess Happy New Year as well. This should be coming out on January 1st, so Happy New Year to all of you guys. Let's hope 2022 rocks as always. I'd love for you to hit me up even with ideas about who I should interview, um, books that we should focus on. I'd love to hear you guys' response to the podcast, so if you can hit me up on social media, if you just search for Ben Hobson, author, I'm sure you'll find all of my social networking links. Anyway, enjoy the episode with Ashley Collagen Blunt. Anyway, yeah, it's been exciting and I just got back from the gym and then I very quickly set up. So we're moving house at the moment and I'm in our little townhouse and because we're in Queensland, the air conditioning broke downstairs and there's pretty much two rooms. So I'm in the bedroom and I had to set up like a little camping table and stuff. Like, look. (laughs) Oh, nice, nice. I had to interview Michael Connolly the other day and it was from... My bedroom <laughs> felt a bit strange. <laughs> that's, very, that's very intimate. Just invite him in into your yeah, bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah, it was strangely intimate. Um, oh, how'd it go though? I missed it. Yeah, it was good. It's on YouTube now, actually. Um, New South oh, Wales um, events put it up. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times, and I really went out of my way to do a heap of research this time, and I was watching. I don't know whether you've heard of this YouTube channel called Charisma on Command. No. I feel silly even saying it, but it has like all these really great, <laughs> it has all these really great interview tips and sort of asking questions that really bring the 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 um, the person, the interviewee, bringing them to life, like passions and things like that. So it was really cool. I sort of worked that in there a little bit. Nice. Oh, I'm actually going to write that down. That's a hot tip, Ben. Yeah, charisma on command. It's good. They get a bit nice. They get a bit like there's a few of them that are like how to how to flirt with women, even though you're awkward and things like that, which you can I can do without that stuff. But <laughs> most um, of us can. Yeah. How are you going? How are you, Ashley? Yeah, I'm really, really, really good. I um, I have I have secret news that I can't share, but I'm no! good. <laughs> exclusive no we won't do that that's exciting though (laughs) um yeah well it could be it could be very exciting so we're yeah i understand that secret writing project news or writing in general stuff that's really cool Mm -hmm. yes so i'm feeling very very good and we also moved recently so we're in our new place and we've got this view of the ocean like right out the door and look at your beautiful look at your beautiful bookcase and everything there that looks amazing i've got my own office for the Ah. first time i've been working in the lounge room for 10 years office (laughs) right and this is when we're building this house i'm going to have an office with bookshelves 
And then you can have a proper Zoom set up. You don't have to rearrange the whole apartment every time you want to do a Zoom event. I don't have to be or in interview bedroom, Michael Connolly yeah. in your bedroom. <laughs> I positioned it a little differently. So it was looking at the blank wall behind. But anyway, oh, it was such a hot day too. Have you got, have you got a beer or a burger at all? For books, beers I, well, and burgers. What have you got? Tell me what, all about like, it. I have a picture of a burger because I, I still have not, I've lived in this country 10 years and I have not wrapped my head around the fact that Queensland doesn't change times with New South Wales. So there's the burger I ate at seven New South Ooh, Wales time. It was really good. It does look it pretty good. It was a good. Chipotle burger with jalapenos Ooh. and avocado. And it was, it was a great, it was from that a place amazing. called Field to Fork. So good. And my beer, I'm going to crack this right now, right against the mic. Yeah, nice. Is, uh, is, is Japanese plum wine because that's, <laughs> it comes in a can. So I thought that was close enough. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very fancy. Oh, it's very good. Very good. Yeah. I've what, got about a, you? what about you? I've got something called a single fin. Ooh, summer nice. Ale. Yeah, it's really nice. And it's brewed by someone called the Fussy Bastards. In Western well, Australia. So I just felt like this was sort of like light and fun and slightly bitter and thrilling. So it was, it's right in line with the book we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, try nice. To, I try to pick beers that suit the book, but I'm not always successful. And then I've got, I've cooked my own burger. Ooh. Like a chicken schnitzel, halloumi, pickle, coleslaw combo oh thing. It's gosh. quite good. Yeah, so, oh, why mm-hmm. am I not in Brisbane right now? Mm. That looks that looks incredible. It's a bit awkward when I'm chewing on mic. <laughs> Sorry. I think I love I love eating on podcasts. I just think it's like it's just wonderful. It's chill, right? Like you gotta. I don't yeah. know. Podcasts to me are all about feeling like you are with friends. Mm. You know mm. what I mean? Yes. So yeah. Having a meal definitely. with friends. Because that's yeah, and actually, I loved your episode with Grant Ison, and partly just because there's the background sound, just it was like, oh, it's like I'm out with people. Yeah, it was really nice. I, I want to do a lot more of that. Hopefully, in the coming year, I guess we can mm. get back out. And I, I'd love to start to um, meet up with authors on their tours and stuff, and take them out for a meal or something, just pick their brains a little bit. Mm. Which is what I'm going to do to you, if that's okay. Is pick oh. your brains. Oh my gosh. Yes. But first of all, mm-hmm. did you like the book? I've been... Oh, the book. Yes. Can we, can we, can we talk about the book? Yeah, let's talk I'm about so the book. Excited. Let's talk about the book. Have... So, the book we've read today is John Sanford's, which is actually a pen name. Um, and I've got it written down what his real name is. Where is it? John Roswell Camp. That's him. And one... this is Certain Prey, which is part of his series with Lucas Davenport. Mm-hmm. And this is number 10 in the series. So mm-hmm. I've never read him before and you've jumped mm-hmm. me right into the first third, I think. But there's so many. Yeah. Of like this guy writes so much. But, yes, I did enjoy it. It was very um, – I did not picture you liking this book. <laughs> I'm so, I don't know what that's <laughs> – Okay. Okay. This, this author, I have been listening and reading this series since yeah. – uh, well, this came out in 99 and I, it probably was 99. I started, I don't know if I said, I don't think I started with this book cause I don't remember mm. cause I didn't like read them in order. Um, I worked in a secondhand bookshop uh, yeah. when I lived in, when I was in high school. 
in Winnipeg. And uh, it was like, you know, a 15 minute walk from my house. And I worked there for six years through high school and into like all through undergrad. And there was this wonderful back room. Like when you, you could get away from the customers when it wasn't busy and someone else was working the front counter, you could sneak into this amazing back room. And there were just like boxes of books. The owner would just bring in boxes of books that he got from estate sales. And you could just, you know, put on your own music on the stereo system in the back room and then just, you know, unpack books and organize. And, um, but I start, that's when I started getting into audiobooks because we had all these audiobooks and like some of them were still on cassette tape. Like this is like going back to cassette tape days. Oh man. And this is, so I just got into John Sanford this way and I just became obsessed with him. And every time audiobooks came into the store, I'd be like, oh my gosh, is there any Sanford? Because I've got to, and so I started listening to it as well. So not only am I obsessed with like this series and this main character, but also the narrator, um, Richard Ferrone, is my favorite audiobook narrator. Like his voice to me is just synonymous <laughs> with this author. That's so cool. Like so, so sorry, you've you've actually listened to these books more than you've read the books. Is that right? So the Mostly, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you don't feel because I, I struggle sometimes with audiobooks like fiction audiobooks. I love re- hearing nonfiction for some reason, but you don't have that problem. Like you do you listen to a lot of audiobooks? Is it mostly John Sanford? It's all about the reader. If it's a good reader yeah. and it brings the story to life. And like that's so like my first book, My Name is Revenge, we had a voice actor. Uh, there's uh, a novella and then there's a collection of essays. I narrate the essays because it's just like straight reading. You did but it. We had this. Yeah, I did the essays. But was we that, had this sorry, voice can you just, wait, wait, wait. Was that hard? Because yeah. was that hard to do your own thing? Like I would find it. You still have to act a little bit, right? And put emphasis and, really, and things like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I loved it. I loved it. It was it was far more tiring than I thought it would be. Like it was a very slow process. Mm. Uh, but they just like, you know, they were like, set aside this much time. And I was like, oh, there's no way we'll need that much time. And we needed more <laughs> time than that. So um, I learned I learned that. Mm. But um, but it like I I I feel like when I'm when I'm revising my work, I read it out loud a lot. So like for nonfiction, that was easy. I could put that emphasis in there. Yeah. But for the fiction, like, I'm so glad we had a voice actor do it. And he's Felix Johnson, Sydney actor. He's really talented because he really just brought all the characters to life in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah. So I, like, it all totally depends on the reader for me. Really? Have you yeah. ever stopped listening to an audiobook? It's just like, no, nah, this guy's not for oh, me. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so many, um, definitely, particularly fiction. Like I struggle more with fiction and there's some nonfiction where like, there's a book, but one of my absolute favorite books I discovered by audiobook, which is Tamim Ansari's um, Destiny Disrupted, A History of the World Through Islamic Eyes. And he's a, uh, uh, he's from Afghanistan, but lives in the United States. Yeah. And he uh, wrote this history or after 9-11, he wrote, he was, a, he was a historian. He studied history and, and wrote history textbook for high school kids in the U.S. He wrote this history of Islam for yeah. basically Westerners to sort of, and he wrote it in a, in a very storytelling way, mm-hmm. uh, but also very carefully researched. And he read his own audiobook. At first I started listening to this and it was immediately obvious. I'm like, oh, this guy is not a professional reader. And which I'm sure is, it, you know, when people hear me narrate, that's what they would think of me as well. <laughs> but I actually like really warmed to him because I was like, oh, you're not a professional reader, but this is your story. And I can tell yeah. how passionate you are about it. And I actually was like, I, I liked it more because of that. Yeah, sort of like an authentic sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you listen to, have you listened to any fiction audiobooks? I listened to the very first Candace Fox 
book I read, uh, Redemption Point, I think I read first. But that was, I listened to that on audiobook. And then I think that's almost it. I think that's, I haven't really toyed with it that much. I've listened to a lot of nonfiction. Like I just listened to um, Will Smith's autobiography. Okay, yeah. Really, really good. I loved it because he narrates the whole thing and he does all the voices and he does accents and he does his Muhammad Ali. It was really fun. They had music and it was a real production. Um, And the other one I listened to was uh, Lincoln in the Bardo, but I've only just started sort of listening to that. But that's got Nick Offerman in it from Parks and Rec. So I'm instantly in. I tried to listen to that. I couldn't, I just couldn't follow it on audiobook. I was like, no, I'm going to have to try this on paper because I cannot follow this. Yeah. It's definitely a thing where you do lose you lose track of the story. Like you, you go into your mind and think about all the things you have to do, but the book will continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're reading, if you're reading text, it won't do that. It will just stop when you start thinking about other things. Sorry. I'm just swallowing a big mouthful, man. No, it's great. Really? I love it. No, I'm just... <laughs> curiously enjoying your burger. It was really good. I just, yeah. When you finish gym. Oh man. Hits the spot. You've earned it. Um, I'd love to start talking a little bit about you because just doing a bit of research for this podcast, I'm just a bit astounded with the level of, you have this sort of excellence to you that you just seem, everything you do seems to come out really, really well. I don't know whether you just, you take time to make things as good as they possibly can be. Whereas I feel like what I do is just ah that'll do (laughs) just shove it out like that that's fine the podcast is fine but every single time you release an episode of your podcast James and Ashley stay at home every episode you have like little quotes and you have a blog post that coincides with this and you I want to pick your brain a little bit about how you do that because I don't do that and I would like to do that and you need to teach me please exceptionally kind Ben you're gonna make me cry this is oh, so this doesn't sorry. go with burgers um I uh I feel really strongly about the the people who speak to us on our podcast our, James and Ashley stay at home is a podcast about writing creativity and health and so we talk with you know curate authors who generally have something to say about um, you know, either their personal health experiences, or we've yeah. interviewed a lot of people about intergenerational trauma and sort of looking broadly at societal health. So we interviewed Nardi Simpson, for example, uh, who wrote uh, Song of the Crocodile. Yeah, that's, I think, one of our absolutely best episodes. That was just incredible speaking to her and what we learned from her. Yeah. And, um, and I think it helps that James does all the technical stuff. So James and I make a great team because he does all the technical stuff. So I don't have to do any of that. So like, you know, the key does all the, everything with the files and uploads it all. So I'm just on, I'm just on production. Like, like I line up the guests and then I, and then I do the, the promo and the marketing stuff. Yeah. right. And yeah. And so um, I've just, I really want to make sure I'm doing the best job to share, you know, often the very, very deeply personal things that they've, they've shared with us. Yeah. And like, I really respect that, like the, the level of almost reverence and you're, you're honoring them, right? You're honoring them with your time and your efforts, which is really cool. And it is a really great podcast. I've listened to a few episodes now and it's really cool how you guys are very vulnerable, I think, especially about your health and your journeys um, and very funny, which I really appreciated. Um, but you, I don't know, like, do you, do you have the same level of like, as an example, you just mentioned books, right? You mentioned, mentioned Nardi Simpson's Song of the Crocodile. 
And so then in your show notes, you would have this list of all these books that you mentioned during the episode. Whereas I don't have that work ethic. Like, I don't know what it is. Am I just lazy? Maybe I'm just lazy. Maybe I just need to put in more. (laughs) Who knows? But you you do. You seem to just across the board. Like your blog as well, full of donkey and your books. (laughs) Like you seem to have this level of quality and then you don't accept you don't just sort of fudge it around the edges. You make it as good as it can be. And is that something you really work at to do or is it just a natural part of your personality that you just love to get things just schmick before you send it out to the world? See, it's so interesting because I don't think about it that way. I think I, I feel like I'm like um, just, you know, what what is what is what is the the most value? Like, so we record this one podcast episode. What is the most value I can get out of this podcast episode? I can create content for Instagram that people want to share. I can create a blog post that, you know, increases my SEO on my website. So it's kind of like selfish, really. And I'm like, oh, maybe that author will link back to me. And then that will also help my SEO. Like, yeah. it's all like, I have all these marketing things in my head about like, okay, I got to tick this box. I got to tick this box. I got to tick this box. Right. And so I, I'm looking to maximize the value of, I've, I've gone to the effort of, getting this author to agree to speak to us. And then they've given me their time. Now, how do I maximize that for me, but then also for them as well? Like, because that's promoting their book and their work. And, and, you know, we've got, we've had the honor of speaking to some amazing people. Yeah. And that's really, that's really a clever way of looking at it. Do you, I was wondering also, because again, a blog, you know, every two weeks, you've pretty much got a blog up. Like you seem to have this really great schedule with everything. Whereas my blog hasn't been updated in what feels probably years, to be honest. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, but do you feel like that stuff's important to an author and an author platform? Because we, when, you, when you're starting out, there's a lot of conversation about building your author platform and finding an audience. And, you know, if you're talking to marketing, they'll ask how many Twitter followers you have and things like that. Do you think that stuff is really valuable and can add to an author's work or even I guess marketability or popularity or sales well how do you think it adds value I think that's a great question and I think the answer is isn't necessarily a straightforward one because I don't think the number of followers you have necessarily matters and I don't think so when I teach like I teach about um you know building an author platform I'm actually teaching that this weekend um for Australian writers in WA yeah yeah. I'm on the ground floor yes (laughs) teach me yes (laughs) Well, so yes, I don't think the number of followers you have necessarily matters. It's your engagement with them. Like how engaged are you with them? And like, are you having like meaningful conversations? Um, So, so again, yeah, when I'm, when I'm trying to put together content for the, for the podcast, I feel like, okay, what, what, like when I pull out those quotes that I'm going to share, I'm like, oh, like, what are the things that I think will make people want to listen to this and really catch people's attention and they're short and they're quippy and they're interesting. So yeah. I can like really quickly, you know, in three seconds on Instagram, grab someone's attention and be like, oh, here's, here's, here's a really interesting thing that like, maybe you want to hear more about this. Yeah, uh, so I think, really I think having a platform if, if, if it's something you're engaged with, like you're showing your best self, you're making yourself discoverable on yep. the internet. And so people can really, you know, if they use Twitter or they use Instagram or like whatever, they can find you where you're at your best 
like like I only use the things and the platforms that that you enjoy using and that I mean not necessarily from day one because it might take some time to get there like with Twitter it took me a year I I actively hated it for the first six months I used it and then the next six months I was still like very grudgingly like oh I'm just like not liking this but now I've made some like excellent friends yeah on Twitter like author friends yeah so it was it was worth that time yeah um, yeah I agree with that I agree yeah so but also I think I mean it's also like as an author you've 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 got to be focusing on the writing first so I would never put that stuff before the writing and I'm I'm sort of like I'm in this weird position because I, like I don't have a full-time job which is because I'm sick which means I need to stay at home a lot, which is kind of like the, the whole title of the podcast, James and Ashley Stay at Home. James and Ashley Stay at Home because we're sick and we can't go out and socialize with our friends yeah. and do fun stuff and have a life, but we can stay at home. And when we're well enough, we can put together a podcast. Mm. Um, but and also like, I don't have kids, right, Ben? So like, I mean, like in terms of like, where are your priorities? Like, like the fact that you're doing a podcast, I mean, yeah, maybe you're not listing every book we mentioned in the show notes, but uh, <laughs> I only do that because a friend of mine was like, I really wish you'd list every book in the show notes. Oh, geez. All right. All right. Well, I feel a little better now. Thank you very much. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes it just does, it seems like I get invested so much in the, the being an author business, I guess, that mm-hmm. I forget to actually work on the craft of writing and to do the thing I enjoy. And, you know, you spend so much time and <laughs> please don't misunderstand. I'm very much enjoying speaking to you right now, <laughs> but it's this sort of thing, you know what I mean? Like this sort of thing does um, draw attention out of you and every single thing you do. I actually was thinking the other day, cause I'm a high school teacher Yeah. the other day about that 10,000 hour rule which is, I don't know whether you've heard of that rule, but, you know, you spend 10,000 hours practicing a craft and you will become a master at that craft. And I was thinking, you know, I don't want to accidentally become a master of a craft I don't have as much investment in as the thing I would actually like to be good at. Because if if I'm being honest, I'm lucky to spend 20 minutes a day doing writing. And that's that's a very slow add up. What are you showing me? What is this? this? This is all the hours. Oh my gosh, you are so I, I have I, tracked them since. What year did I start tracking them? Uh, I've tracked them since 2011. Um, so and I, I, count, I love that. <laughs> but I count I count this because we're talking about writing and because yeah. I, like we're you know we're creating an industry connection here, so we're sharing industry knowledge. I do count this as part of my uh, my mastery time. Yeah, right. So this is all, yes, that's, yes. So when I, when I do the blog and I do the podcast and I do the Instagram stuff, like if I'm just posting a picture of my dog on Instagram, I don't count that. But if I'm like creating, (laughs) like, um, if I'm creating like content from the podcast and, and I sit down and I do that all at once. So James sends me the file and he's like, listen to this, make sure, you know, make sure I didn't like edit you to sound like like you said something you didn't want to say. Sure. Um, and, and so I sit down and I have like Canva open where I create the like, um, you know, Instagram imagery and yeah. I have the blog post open and I just do it all at once and I do the show notes and everything happens at one time. So I really like, I love efficiency stuff and I love like reading about like how to be more efficient. And so I just, I really, I do try to, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this in the most efficient way possible and I'm going to count my time. You do seem to have a lot of systems, like really good systems in place. Your system, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
that's great. Like, and I, that's a that's a massive uh, benefit to have that as a natural part of your character. Whereas a person like me, I think I tend to have to force a few of those different things. You know, I force habits and have to really work hard at developing discipline. I kind of wish I'd tracked my hours like you. But on the flip side, can we talk about hashtag cups and rights? Because you like put out, you turn out an incredible amount of words in a very short time, which is like, I like did. the thing you need to do to like write books. Like that's amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. That was one of those social media things that actually was very natural and helpful to me. And I didn't have to actually make a I didn't have to force myself to do it I was excited like every day I was like oh I've just done this many words I'll post about it and it was so cool to hear people talk about it and it was really I loved your updates they were so exciting I was just like oh my gosh who is this guy he's on fire (laughs) yeah it was yeah it turned out that book though wasn't actually a very good book unfortunately um yeah no one no one really liked that one but I liked it I still like it oh you know it's well, it's one of those things like it's um, I, don't, I was thinking about it the other day. I don't believe in wasted words. Like every word I wrote there was absolutely beneficial to me. And I, again, like that Hobson writes thing I did on Twitter was really fun and engaged with my audience and all those different things. Like I love the main thing I love about being an author and having a platform as it is. Um, I love being able to talk to people and hear their stories. It's my favorite thing. This is why I wanted to become an author. Like, was like, bizarrely, if you have to use some inverse logic here, but I wanted to be a writer to connect with people. So even though I'm, you know, I'm a writer and I sit down at my desk by myself with, you know, the door closed and I spend a lot of hours alone, the writing enables me to connect with, with people and people that I really love, like really love connecting with. Like I love the writing community and I've just made the best friendships. And it's just like, I met the most interesting people. And now I'm going to go interview someone who runs a wombat rescue place in the blue mountains. Like, it's just like, and doors open when you're like, Oh, I'm a writer. And people are like, Oh, let me tell you about the time that I, you know, like (laughs) had a monkey as a pet. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, when I did, when I, this reminds me of when I did this uh, Riders on the Road. Uh, it was like a bus tour before Byron Bay Riders Festival. And we went and visited all these different, we went and visited schools and, you know, all these old like halls in the middle of New South Wales at Tenterfield and all those sorts of places. And it was so fun. I really, really got a lot out of it. But the best thing was being able to be a place for a person in the crowd who, you know, has been nursing their story for 40 years and just be a person who's able to sit there and listen to them and give them time. Like I felt like that was a type of, um, a type of love that I could extend to people. And Mm. if I hadn't been a, if I hadn't been an author and, you know, special and I'm putting in quotation marks, like a special guest and all that sort of stuff. I don't know whether or not it would have been as seen as something as significant to them to share that, their stories with me. Um, so I really, I really treasure that stuff. And so that's, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram and all those different places. Um, yeah, I really like that stuff. And I feel like, I feel like your advice about doing the thing that you actually enjoy is really good. Um, you wouldn't want to have to force it. And that's, that's where I've sort of turned off the blog a little bit. But you must do you get a lot out of writing a blog. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, I so my blog is uh, 
Ooh, are we out of sync here? No, <laughs> okay. we're good. We're back. Uh, <laughs> no, we're back. <laughs> All right. I am. Um, yeah, I am. I, um... <laughs> the wonders I, of um, try to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, yeah, we're <laughs> really out of sync here. Hang on. Let me clap I, um... in front of you. Ready? Watch. Oh, no. You disappeared. Are you there? <laughs> When I clapped, you disappeared. <laughs> Are you okay? It's magic. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just you clapped, and the sound was like three seconds later. Like there was a big delay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're good now. Hopefully. Anyway, sorry. What were you saying about your blog? I think, I think we're good. <laughs> we're good. Um, I try. I try to spend as little time on it as possible. So I try to again, like, be really efficient about it. How much so, time have you spent writing about um, Like when I post. If you don't mind me asking. Uh, in general? Yeah. Um, it depends on what stage of a project I'm in. Like right now, I'm not doing a lot. I might do a couple hours still on various things because I'm sort of, I, I have a draft that's out in the world and is waiting on things. Mm. Um, but when I was, when I was actively drafting, I was spending three or four or five hours Um Wow. depending on the day but keep in mind that there's because of my chronic illness there's a lot of days I don't like I'm just not capable of doing anything including yeah writing. like it, it must take it out of you so you're able to I mean people might not have heard your story at all are you able to explain to everyone what you have it's chronic fatigue syndrome if I'm not mistaken correct yeah that's correct yeah so yeah and it's there's this um illness that I didn't really know much about before it hit me like there's no one else in my family who has it it just like came out of the blue uh and I had what's called insidious onset so oh, that's when something triggers the illness but then it doesn't come on fully it sort of sneaks up on you in my case over 12 months and so I just kept getting all these strange symptoms popping up and I uh would just have these days where I felt like I was on the verge of being and I just exhausted but then I would be fine the next day so I was like oh okay I'm fine but then those days started really adding up and then uh then it came on full time and then just basically it's cognitive and physical fatigue and it's um completely unpredictable and yeah I'm in the fifth year of it now and uh it's it's definitely getting better it's actually getting a lot better it's a lot more manageable now but it's still it's uh it's still a major factor in my, in my life. Mm. Yeah, it must be. And then, cause writing is a very emotionally and mentally draining thing. Like I can imagine, I don't know how you spend the three hours doing it, honestly. And that would just be without the chronic fatigue. Like I, I struggle with three hours of solid writing. Like it hurts my brain. I feel. See, I think it's, um, we're, yeah, we're, my internet's still being, let me just check my internet then. Give me a yeah, second. Yeah, go ahead. Here. No, go yeah, ahead. We're, 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 it's otherwise. getting a bit funny, isn't it? Yeah, here, actually, just hang on one second. You're all right. All right, technical difficulties. We'll see what's happening. No worries. Um, I'll edit all that out. That's no worries. Okay. Okay. Well, here, okay. Let me answer your question. Sure. I think the thing to keep in mind is that you have a full-time job. 
you have kids and you've got other stuff going on in your life. Like you're out in the world, like you were just at the gym and then you like cooked a meal. Like you're, you're doing things that are engaging your brain cognitively. And um, whereas if I'm sick for two or three days in a row, I'm so happy to sit down and write when I'm finally well enough. I'm just like, I've got all these ideas stored up. Like I've just been lying there. My brain's like still like thinking up ideas, but I'm not engaged yeah you sit down and the writing is a joy like the writing is oh, i still awesome. have a, like i get stuck occasionally in projects still but the writing was i was so glad i had a writing practice because when i got sick literally i was at home alone all my family's in canada my husband mm. was working like 10 12 hours a day seven days a week i was at home alone i was often too sick to watch television even and i just lay there just thinking about being sick it was the loneliest thing so when I could get 15 minutes of mental clarity to sit down and work on the book I had already started before I got sick it was just like such a huge relief it was just like oh my gosh thank you yeah so yeah so you finally I think we're coming at it from different no no we're out of sync again (laughs) sorry um we can just hang on let me clap let's do this thing again Oh, that worked. Okay. That's okay. We're on back in. Okay. Yeah. We just have to run with it. Okay. I mean, this is, it'll be what it'll be. Mm-hmm. You know, the wonderful world of Zoom. Um, we should <laughs> probably get to actually talking about the book, I suppose. Oh my gosh. If we have to. Um, but um, I wanted to know why is it this particular Lucas Davenport book that you chose for me to read? Out of there's, I think over thirty. I think there's thirty-one or something now. And I'm assuming you've listened to all of them. Not, not quite. There's probably a few I've missed. I was looking back at the list because I didn't listen to them in order. I think there's a few I've missed. And like I said, I've been listening to this for 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this is this is why I picked, like, I, there's a lot of thrillers I love. There's a lot of authors I love. And I just, I do want to say before, before we launch too far into, you know, this John Sanford slash John Roswell Camp is a is a white American straight guy, yes. and his character is uh, he describes. Does, does, so does your book have this intro where he talks about you know how Lucas Davenport is athletic white straight and survives? Yeah. It's really interesting. yeah yeah yeah. So I just wanted to preface our conversation by recommending some diverse crime writers. So oh, one of them good. is uh, David Heska. <laughs> David Heska Wongly Wyden, who is uh, a Sioux from uh, the United States, First Nations. And we actually interviewed him on the podcast on James and Ashley Stay at Home, episode 40. Uh, Danuka McKenzie is a local Australian author. Her first book is coming out in February, the 12th. I've met met Danuka. She is so cool. And I'm so excited for her book. And yes, very excited for her. Amazing. So make a note of that, February 2020, the torrent's coming out. Mark that one down, everybody. And then Rachel, yeah, and then Rachel Housel Hall is another American uh, author. And I actually haven't read her yet, but David Wyden has recommended her books and they look fantastic and I'm really excited to get into them. So I've got them, I've got them uh, in my stack. Yeah, so, so I just I, wanted to preface. I appreciate that. And can I, can I say what I was going back to earlier about you being excellent, like, Tell you what, I've had a few guests prepare, but you've got book a book of notes there, which is amazing. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything here. Um, I honestly, I could talk about this book for three hours straight, like just monologue. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'd love to actually read it because I, I thought I wrote it down where it was about, he actually said, yeah, so he said here, this is where it is. 
I was, he said this, in devising Davenport as a character, I was seriously interested in writing books that would sell well and consciously chose what you might call that majority, majoritarian slot. At the same time as a thriller fan, I always like books that clip, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Swali wins. He doesn't always win. He's not exactly a hero. Where is this thing? Another thing. Oh, no, I'm not reading the right thing. Oh, my main character is Lucas Davenport is right down the slot of that vast, well-washed majority he is athletic, white, straight, and survives. Therefore, the most popular character. So he made this character in 1989, right? So it's an yes. old yes. character. Yes. And it might speak a little bit about the way that we've traveled a little bit, hopefully away from that idea that the type of book that will sell is the book that has, again, the white, straight, athletic man is very sexually promiscuous and survives and wins and is a bit daring and breaks the rules. And there's a, there's a whole host of things that are a little bit more problematic in the modern world we live in. Um, Two really interesting things I just want to add on that. Yeah, is go that, ahead, go is ahead. that early in the series, Davenport is that kind of stereotypical sexually promiscuous. Yes. But actually, one of the reasons I love him and one of the reasons I like, really fell in love with the series is that he actually marries this woman named Weather Karkinen. And okay, first of all, her first name is Weather, which is just the best first name. But she's a surgeon and she like, she's a great character. She's got a lot of agency. When they first meet, she actually saves his life. Yeah, um, right. So she's, so, and once he marries her, he marries her. They actually meet in book five, but then like you're in book 10 and she's not in this book. They, no. They've split for a while, but right. they get back together. And once they get back together, Unless, I mean, they're like, unless there's a book that I've missed, but all the books I've read, once they get married, Davenport, there's no affairs. Davenport never cheats on her. Like, mm. you know, on occasion he'll meet an attractive woman because he travels a lot for work, especially in the later books, because we follow his career. He becomes a, a agent of the Bureau for Criminal Apprehension in Minnesota. Yeah. Now he's a U.S. Marshal. He, he travels a lot for work. He's always like calling weather to check in with her. He's a dad of, um, I think, Four children he's a really wow. good dad he's always like asking about his kids and taking care of them so I, like like so when he's younger like in the early books yeah like there's a lot of women that he sees and whatever but I really love that like it's I think it's an easy it's really like low-hanging fruit to like put in tension in the character's personal lives by having them have an affair and as as far as I know through all the books I've read Sanford never does that with, yeah right with Davenport and I love that about him yeah, and that's kind of cool. It sounds like John Sanford, as he's, as he's progressed in his own ideas about what good characters are and what would make a good thriller, like as he's journeyed, he's sort of, his books have also gone on that journey with him. That's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I read his, and this is, so this is one of the reasons I didn't recommend like the first book in this series or particularly the second one where he tried to engage with sort of First Nations issues in the US and, and did it in a way that I think for like, you know, late 1980s early 1990s was was uh he, he was well-intentioned but I would I like I would not recommend that book now but I I feel like this this one I picked for a particular reason but like his his later ones like I just think I just think he has as a person you know and he was born in 1944 the author so I think he has evolved with the times and he has really made an effort to keep his character relevant to mm. like a broad readership yeah right I really appreciate that. And, you know, it certainly wasn't, yeah, it certainly wasn't like an offensive read or something like you didn't, although there were a few, there were a few 
<laughs> I don't know. There what. were a few little things because I was reading it. I don't want to put it your eyes. Yeah, I don't want to put it uh, indelicately, but there's a lot of like, like it's pretty, like it's pretty coarse. Like there's lots of, it's a real sh- like a, and I'm not saying this at all to put it down because I love these sorts of books. It's a very schlocky kind of book. Like it's very violent and very sexy <laughs> and very just like sweary and cool and like it's it's a bit bit pulpy, you know. And it's not at all a bad thing, but it's like it could. I can see a person reading it and turning. Like my nana wouldn't read it. <laughs> my nana definitely wouldn't read it. My nana, my nana will. <laughs> I have to be aware of whether my mum and dad listen to me talk about my nana. My nana loves a good sex scene, okay? She loves a good oh, okay. sex scene in the book. She, she doesn't like swearing. No swearing okay. in her books. If you're swearing, she just not, has nothing to do with you. She loves okay. a good romance in her books. Nice. Yeah. Oh, nana sounds fun. She, she is. She's awesome. She, she said it to me. She's like, Ben, you can't. Is this book going to be any good about my own books? Is this book going to be good? <laughs> And I'm like, Nana, I wrote it. You should read it. And she's like, oh, well, I'll give it three pages. And if I'm not interested, I'm not going to read it. And I was like, all right. Wow. Nana is a, it's a tough crowd to please. Yeah. I don't actually know whether she read it at the end of that. So, we'll, you know, that's better. It's a question better left unasked, I think. <laughs> uh, but I think, it's, I think it is interesting because here's my other anecdote. Just, yeah, go just going back to the context this was published in. So I actually, so nobody in Australia knows Sanford, which just breaks my heart because I always just want to talk about him and mm. nobody's heard of him. I, I guess he just never took off here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I never get to talk about him with anyone. But I actually randomly in a in a street library in, in Ashfield found a, a like a really weathered paperback copy of book five, which was originally published as The Iceman, but then they changed it because all the, the books all have the word prey now in the title. So they changed yes. it to Winter Prey. But so this was like the Iceman published in 93. And then um, at the back of the book, there was a, you know, and this is a major publisher. I don't remember which one it is, but at the back of the book, there was like, I think it's Doubleday. There was, oh, you know, if you like this book, like here's our recommendations for other authors you might enjoy, like other Mm. crime authors. And there was like seven listed, all men. Every single one was a man. So like as recently as 93, it was like, oh, if you read crime, you only want to read men. Yes. And now we have all these amazing, you know, female crime writers like Jane Harper, Candace Fox, Jervlin McTiernan, and that's just Australia. Like we just yes. we have incredible female crime writers. We do, we really do. Yeah, it's yeah, it's become a, a lot better, I think. Although I think that in America, the the big names, the big names are still there's a lot of men on that list. You know, you got your James yeah. Patterson and your. And, um, I mean, he's like two thirds of the list. Lee Child, yeah, and Lee Child. You know, there's a lot of men still, like at the real top of the of the pile, there's a lot of men still on that list. Yes, yes, who, definitely. Who would you, would there be a, a female, a woman writer who would you, you'd be able to put up on top with, with like a James Patterson? I mean, he's pretty, I mean, he's on top of I most mean, James piles. Patterson, yeah. I mean, he's the best writer in the world, so. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, like I, when I worked in that bookshop, there was a lot of female authors even then, like that was late 90s, like Patricia Cornwell and. Mm, um, yeah, she's good. Yeah, Harry and. Like there, and there was a lot that like people come and ask like, oh, like when is the next Patricia Cornwell coming out? Like, I really want to read it. Yeah. So thriller, I don't thriller think readers are really like voracious. They love their, like clearly with you, with John Sanford, but just fall in love with a series and a character and we'll just read every single one. 
it's fun like that, I guess, isn't it? It's sort of like a, a good movie character, like a good, you just fall in love and you're like, I've got 20 left in the series. But it's interesting because I don't read James Patterson. Like I, I find his writing style, I just I just can't read. I'll read his books with Candace Fox. I make that exception for her, but I, I can't read Patterson. I'm not a Lee Child fan. Like I just find I, I just did, never latched on to the Jack Reacher. This is the only series I read. This is the, yeah. and you know what? You already kind of hit on it. Other than that, I love the main character. But okay, and just a couple other things about Davenport. Like okay, yeah, he's a he's a jock. He's a straight white guy, but. Often, like, and even in this book, like, he pops into a bookshop and he picks up a book. He reads poetry. So, like, mm. the author will just throw in that, like, oh, Davenport's reading this poetry book. He's really into fashion. Like, he's, like, a fashionista. He's always talking yeah, about, like, what nice. labels he's wearing. Very he's, um, good-looking man. Yeah. And, oh, wait, 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 let me go. I've got more notes. He yeah, also suffers depression. So, like, when I said, like, oh, like, the, you know, Stanford doesn't go for the low hanging fruit of like, oh, like what's the personal tension? Oh, he's having an affair. There's been a number of books where actually like Davenport has been um, dealing with depression, which really? I like, thought was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a minor theme, but it sort of runs through the book. And it's one of those things like, how do I, how do I pull myself out of this? Like, how do I? And it's really uh, interesting just... because the character in this book that I read, he, I wouldn't say, I don't think he was really like a really rich character on this book on its own like I feel like a lot of the emphasis is more on the two women in the book rather than Lucas right you (laughs) I can see you're excited to talk about the women but Lucas himself is just he's a bit quippy he's a bit cool he's a bit chill he's he's a bit down to earth he's a bit he, he breaks the rules a fair bit does a few sneaky little backhanded things just to get the people mm. in prison who need to be in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but beyond that, he wasn't like, he didn't jump off the page to me, but that's so interesting that in other books he deals with these really different ideas. Like he, do you feel like in this book in particular, he did take a little bit of a backseat for the story? Yes. Yes. And you know, it was interesting because I've, I've read this at least twice before and I was reading it now through your eyes. I was like, oh, what's Ben going to think of this? And like, what, you know, what would a reader just coming into this, not knowing anything about the series, think of this? And I was like, oh, it is kind of interesting because Davenport doesn't feel like the center of the book. No. He very clearly shares the spotlight. But the reason I picked this book was for Clara Rinker. That's yes. why I picked this book. Because she's understand. one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. Yeah. So maybe would you mind setting up for people listening at home who haven't read John Sanford, can you set up Clara Rinker, please? Because she is a bit of a phenomenal character. I really did enjoy reading her. I actually enjoyed reading about Carmel as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Carmel. Um, Carmel, is it? I said Carmel. Yes, Carmel. yes. Um, so, and, and in that intro that appears in this book that, that Sanford wrote um, later in like 2014 or something, he says in genre novels, one of the hardest things to do is to come up with a villain who is both interesting and credible. And Clara Rinker is actually a, a, like a fan favorite. She comes back a few books later. So she, okay, so she's, she's a hit woman. She um, was, a, you know, from a really uh, unfortunate family in yeah. St. Louis. Yeah. She, um, uh, you know, her stepdad abused her. Uh, she ended up becoming a, a stripper uh, or a dancer in a topless bar when she was 16. And uh, and then and then this is right. This is intro page one of this book. And then yes. she gets raped. And yes. she basically, when she gets raped, she she tells the bar owner, she's like, I want to deal with this guy. And they're like, okay, well, when we see him next, we'll get him down in the basement and you can, you know, you can take a, take a swing at him. And, uh, and she kills him. She kills this guy with a baseball bat. 
And the bar owners were like, uh, okay, we were, we weren't expecting that, but I guess we'll deal with it. Cause you know, <laughs> they're rough and you know, this is a very criminal setting. Yeah. And then someone from the St. Louis mob who's connected to these bar owners, like meets with her and he, he, he's like, yeah, so how'd you feel about that? And she's like, I didn't really feel anything about it. She's like, I was fine with it. And uh, yeah, she becomes a hit woman. So then when this story happens, it, we find out that the FBI um, is trying, like they don't know who she is, but they know that the St. Louis mafia has this, this hitman yep. who has killed at least 27 people. And they're like, we, and this guy's a ghost. And they don't yep. even know it's a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And he instantly sets her up to be both sympathetic and scary. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, we, we like her, like we kind of, you know, yeah. Take the baseball bat and destroy that guy. Like we don't like him at all at all you know and she deserved you know what i mean like yes we're on her side and then mm-hmm. the murder of 27 people is it's a weird thing isn't it this morality because because she's just getting paid to do it it's like she's not taking the morality on it on herself it's like someone else has decided and she's just the weapon that they've deployed and so mm-hmm. she, we sort of don't really care that she's killed all these people i don't know about whether you found that but i was I liked her straight away. She, oh, she makes the really, really clear point that she only kills people who have gotten themselves, like they've made decisions that have gotten themselves into trouble. And, you know, she, she refers to herself as like basically being the finger of God. Like, not that she yeah, has a God complex, yeah. but like, like she's like, you know, these people make choices and now this is what's coming to them. And mm. there's actually a point in the book, because I mean, this is a 20 year old book. We're going to, we're going to, there's going to be spoilers. Absolutely. But there's a point in the book where there's a, there's a little girl who witnesses something and, and she's, they, she and the other, the other antagonists start to think, oh, you know, maybe we need to like, maybe this little girl is a problem. And Claire is just like, I am not comfortable with killing. Like, these people did not ask for this. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, I'm I'm not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she so. did say that. But then she did also say, if we have to, we have to. And so we sort of, mm-hmm. she's, yeah, she's a complex character and I really appreciated her. Um, I'd love to talk about Carmel a little as well. Yes. So, oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know the scene I want to talk about, right? Ooh. The 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 very shocking scene that was up near the front. I mean, I think he mentions it in the foreword, and I wasn't prepared at all for it. And I'm not now I when I'm actually not sure I read it right, but in my mind when I was reading it, it was Carmel who had the drill. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So the scene where they have this guy tied up. And they need information from him to get this VHS tape, which is funny about the VHS tape. And then they knew they knew that it wasn't the original because it was recorded on Type C that would only fit into their <laughs> camera. No camera. I love the. Throwback. We're dating ourselves, Ben. No, I remember VHS tapes, man. Like, I know. And dubbing all that stuff, anyway. But Carmel, and she gets she gets this drill. And she starts to drill into the man's, I forget the pi- place she starts. She starts with her kneecaps, both, kneecaps, or his kneecaps, both the kneecaps. The kneecaps. And it was, it was written in such a way where it was so run of the mill. Like he could have been describing, you know, making a sandwich or something. <laughs> oh yeah, got the drill, drilled through his kneecap. And then he started to scream and it was just so 
And it made the whole thing absolutely horrifying. And she would not stop doing it. And even Clara is running from the room. It's like, I can't watch this. And Carmel is doing this horrifying stuff. Okay, so we need to give people some context here. So the book starts, and here's, oh, okay, then just the voice. It's it's Sanford's voice. That's that's what I love. So he starts off this book, Omniscient Narrator. The first words are just Clara Rinker, full stop. Clara Rinker, of the three unluckiest days in Barbara Allen's life, the first was the day Clara Rinker was raped behind a St. Louis nudie bar called Xanadu, which was located west of the city in a dusty checkerboard of truck terminals, warehouses, and light assembly plants. And we go from like, there's so much in that sentence. There's so much in that sentence. But of the three unluckiest days in Barbara Allen's life. So basically this whole plot is set in motion because there's this lawyer, this like high-end lawyer, defense criminal uh, defense attorney in Minneapolis named Carmel Lone. And she falls in love with this other lawyer named Hale Allen. And I love that the, the love object of this book is this, is this guy named Hale Allen, who is, is described as not the sharpest knife in the dishwasher. No, and she Carmel's a total narcissist. She sees him as an object to be acquired. And I love, I think that's a really nice subversion. I love that. Yeah. And so she, 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 because she's a criminal defense attorney, she has connections, you know, within the, in the criminal criminal scene. Yeah. So she ends up hiring Claire Rinker to come and assassinate this woman. Now, actually this woman hasn't done anything wrong, but I don't think Carmel knows that, or I don't think Claire Rinker knows that she's just being told, She's being paid to assassinate this woman. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like, you know, first first thing off, Barbara Allen is assassinated. And then the story sort of, so then the guy who Carmel arranged this hit through, Ronaldo? his name is Rolo Dacula, <laughs> who refers to himself in the third person. Um, yeah. So he refers to himself as Rolo. So he then he then he blackmails her because he's got her on he's got her on tape. He recorded her from like a home camcorder. He's got her on tape at yeah. asking for this hit, and and he starts blackmailing her. So she calls up Clara Rinker and she says, "We've got a problem. You got to get down here." And yeah, so these yeah. two women, these two violent women, become friends, and that's when Carmel ends up. Uh, you know, drilling through Rollo's kneecaps because they're trying to find where the original tape is. And other places as well. She doesn't just stop there. Yes. Then, then she goes through his heels. Then she goes through his heels. Oh, no. Oh, I forgot that. <laughs> but I think what's interesting, like when I read this, I think it's interesting because I think like thrillers, you know, are, are fantasy in the yeah. way that like Absolutely. Lord of the Rings is fantasy. Like yes. it's so I, like I sort of read it in that like if that had happened to someone in my life or anything you know anything like that there's no way I could read this but because I read it as sort of all oh, this is a fantasy story where like you know the cops can bend the rules and that's okay because they've got the best intentions at heart blah 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 mm-hmm. like yeah. it's you know it's all part of that fantasy world yeah I, I agree with that like it wasn't it was certainly thrilling like I was turning the page and it's like oh man how is she doing this stuff but I just, I felt like he, I felt like he was almost understated in a lot of the moments in the book. A lot of the moments where these scenes of violence happened, they're just sort of like, they're not showy. Like they're not, mm. doesn't make a big meal of them. He just sort of goes, oh yeah, then this happened. Like there was a scene where there was a a, a woman who they had to set up to be 
the um the the cause of the original assassination i believed and so at the end they get her to lie down on the bed and then they shoot her so it looks like a suicide and it's so like just look at her to lie there point the gun at her shoot her twice in the head brains go on the wall the end and then they go on like it's not I felt like he just did it in such a way it was so understated that it felt worse somehow. Like when I was mm. reading it, it felt more shocking and more like, whoa, oh, wow. She just did that like without, without any sort of morality or with any sort of like, there wasn't like an internal sort of qualm where she was like, oh, maybe should I do this? It wasn't any of that. Just, nope, this is what we're doing. It was weirdly a, like appealing, I guess, mm. Mm. Say about that sort of thing. And, and all his books, like his books are all set up in the same, in the same format, which is where we actually open with the antagonists, like maybe, not the early, early ones, but once he got in his rhythm and once he got established the books, like chapter one, here's the antagonist. And we're, we're moving from omniscient narrator into the antagonist's point of view. Yeah. And then chapter two, here's where Lucas is at in his life right now. Here's how he intersects with this, with this, you know, crime or whatever has been set in motion. And, um, and, and yeah, he, all his, so he, uh, in an interview, Sanford describes how he actually has started writing a second series called the Virgil Flowers series. And Virgil Flowers is another Minnesota cop who works with Davenport. So this is a character that has spun off into his own series i don't read that series a different narrator for the audiobooks can't uh, do course. it yep also not in love with virgil flowers why is that are we frozen i think we were i don't know whether it's better now are you back hello <laughs> hey, i'm gonna write that time down hello you there hello here yeah, i'm just I'm just waiting for my internet to. I don't know what it's just doing. Like, just like I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm just. I'm just letting my video recover. All right. Let's see if that helped. You're like, can I? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. What were we talking about? Okay. So you're reading. Okay, so you don't like Virgil Flowers as much. And 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 Sanford talks about how because the Luke and da Lucas Davenport series was was kind of dark. He's like he's like he's like yeah the books are kind of dark. He's like I wanted to write a lighter series. So like Virgil Flowers is sort of the lighter side of like and maybe mm. that's also why I don't like it because I'm just like oh this isn't this isn't what I'm expecting from this author. Yeah, yeah this it's is, a bit different. So he he acknowledges that they're they're quite dark books, but also he has so much humor. He like, yeah, just he like folds so much humor into his stories. There was the runner of there was the runner in this of him reading. It was like a it was. This is again going back to the things that might be a bit funny uh, looking at it ethically now. But he was reading the diversity report. Yes. Is that what? Oh it's wait, called? no, I have the name of that. No, it's yeah, that's it's the mayor's. This is the official title: the Mayor's Select Commission on Cultural Diversity, Alternative Lifestyles, and Other Abledness in the Minneapolis Police Department. It's a six hundred page report, and and Davenport is working his way through it uh, yeah, as a member of this commission. Yeah, and he's it's, it's constantly a refrain, and he sort of makes fun of it, and sort of is agonized with it. And I was like, where is this going? Like, it's such a weird thing and then it turns out that it's it stops a bullet from <laughs> it's like physical printed report that he's carrying around which yeah. is funny like that's a funny that's a gag like that's a funny <laughs> gag 
that I wasn't expecting. I just thought it was like an offhanded thing, but then it turns out it actually had an impact because when Clara goes to shoot Lucas Davenport, he shields himself with the report that he was hating reading. Yeah, Sims is like, which is like, which is a great like uh, twist on the, you know, you're carrying a Bible and stops a bullet for you. Like, it's a, just a great twist on that. Yeah, it was very clever. There's a lot of good humor in it. It was some funny jokes. There's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of good moments in the book. I do think that the plot, especially, was something that was really, really engaging. And I liked how mm-hmm. we got insight into both the, it wasn't like a mystery. You know, it wasn't a cop solving a mystery. We instantly knew who the bad people were and we knew exactly what they were doing. And it was more about how these two things collided all the time. That was really cool. And I like that sort of dynamic in the read that just to sort of see how the two things would come to a head. And there's a great moment because, you know, one of the conventions in the thriller is a speech in praise of the villain in which, you know, someone, someone at some point talks about the villain is like, this is why the villain is undefeatable. And in this case, it's the FBI gets involved. It's Louise Mallard who's talking about, you know, how this person has, has killed 27 people and they just have no idea like who this is. Yeah. But also we get here a speech in praise of the protagonist. We get a speech in praise of Davenport because Carmel is, you know, when they realize that Davenport's looking into this, Carmel knows who he is and his reputation through her, her work as a defense attorney. And she says to Clara, he's the one guy in the world who could run you down, the one guy. Mm, yeah. And so it- we, we think the book is going to end with Davenport defeating Rinker, but she gets away. Like Clara yeah. Rinker gets away at the end. Do you think, I actually had a quote from him where he was saying, where is it? Uh, he said this, Sanford said this about his writing practice. He said, I will write a chapter and because I don't outline, I won't necessarily know what's coming up. Do you think that he wrote Rinker and then just sort of fell in love with her over the course of the book and then... At the end, he's like, if I can let her get away, she's going to get away because I wanted to come back again. Oh, I wonder. I wonder. Well, and it's interesting because I realized, so this is the first time I've read this one since I did a a master's in creative writing and wrote about, um, so in My Name is Revenge, my first book, uh, I wrote about a terrorist attack in a true, this true event in Sydney, the, the Turkish consul general and his bodyguard were assassinated. They were shot in broad daylight in Dover Heights uh, in December 1980 by Armenian um, terrorists who, you know, they called, it was the justice commandos of the Armenian genocide. They called up the radio station and, and took responsibility as a group. And uh, they've, you know, the, the individuals involved have still never been caught 40 years later. Yeah. But so I wanted to write about that from the point of view of the terrorists because um, my great grandparents were survivors of the Armenian genocide. And I understood, I deeply understood the motivations for that crime, even though I did not agree at all with the methods. Yeah. And really, that was the, my motivation for writing the book was the same motivation that that propelled the crime. So yeah. I was trying to write this book from the terrorist point of view. And I was just like, oh, I just can't, I can't relate to this person because they think so differently from how I do. And then I stumbled on this technique called the, um, the less violent antagonist. So basically you, you have a more violent person That's that fun. makes you, yeah, that makes your violent the antagonist not seem so bad. So now suddenly like my main character in Revenge has an older brother and he's a really violent guy. Like he doesn't have qualms about anything. And so it makes my protagonist who's who's genuinely really interested 
interested in justice and has a lot of questions about like, what is justice and how do we get it when it's been denied to us for so many decades? Um, it makes him seem, you know, not so bad. And I think that's, I don't think Rinker would work the way she does if we didn't have Carmel alone. Mm, yeah, because Carmel is full on, like she's manipulative and lies and kills without a second thought and actually seems to enjoy murder on a, in a weird sort of way where she's just like, no, I love doing this. Yeah, because because Rinker's really clinical about it. She, you know, she, she, she surveys, she, you know, does recon and then she, she picks the time and the place and, and she shoots the person and it's really, really clinical. But Carmel, like you said, like she gets out the power drill and even once she's drilled two kneecaps, she's still going to move on to the heels. Yeah, she needs to actually make people feel pain, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, and then that's a really interesting idea to put your, the one, yeah, to put the, the what was, what you call it, the less violent antagonist the, the less violent antagonist yeah really clever i wonder if he did yeah. that like to me whenever we talk about books like this it's always sort of in hindsight we can go back and look at these techniques i wonder if he did that on purpose whether he's like i'm gonna put mm. carmel in and she's gonna be way worse because i like Cla- clara a lot do you think he did that on purpose it's mm-hmm. hard to say hey I wonder, because I actually have not read a lot about his, his writing practice. And because he's always been, he's always loomed in my mind. Like he's like, you know, like this Titan of like, it's like he doesn't exist as a human. Like John Sanford to me is not a human. He's like a, he's like a, a, a force that exists in the universe. So the fact that he's actually a dude that I could be like, oh, I could look up interviews with him. I've just never done that because he predates my like being in the writing industry in the writing world he he goes back to he's a very interesting guy like I've got a few quotes here from him about writing I actually would like to talk I mean when we're sort of getting on with time amazingly which I feel like we just started talking (laughs) Um, there's, there's a quote here which I loved and I actually had this in mind to ask you he said this when you're building a character or at least when I'm building a character you start saying how am I going to make people like him now I was wondering about that for you because I do not think about that at all I am much more interested in characters who feel real I don't really need people to like them and I especially don't need that in the books I read I don't need to like the people I'm reading about I just as long as they're interesting in some way and complex and authentic um do you feel like that like when you set out to write a book I mean I know that you've written um, you wrote your first book and then you wrote your memoir. But I mean, even mm. in the memoir, you had to present yourself as a type of likable character, surely? Mm, mm. Well, and definitely with the memoir, that was an issue because th- like the protagonist was me. And be- because it was a memoir, if if you didn't care about me, even it's not quite like so much, but if you didn't care about me, you weren't going to like the book. And I had people in my writer's group who, you know, this was not the kind of book they were ever going to read. Uh, and they, so they would make these comments about, about my character being like, oh, she's really, you know, she's really whiny and she's really needy. I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh-huh, great. Thank you guys. Um, these, these were men in my writer's group. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't, yeah. So that's actually been an issue with my current, my current manuscript is, um, just make because I, I was I was like I don't care I, I as a reader don't feel like I care if I like a character I just have to be interested in what they're doing yeah me too but I don't think but most, I think I think most people I don't think read that way I think a lot of people really like you were making the link before 
I need to like them so therefore I can care about them. Now, I'm a little different because I can care about people who do bad things because I think that every person is flawed in some capacity. So I actually Mm. like people just as they are. And I think that if I like them, that's fine. But if I don't like them, I should still care about them because they're human beings. Um, But that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? That, That we sort of demand that our characters be likable so therefore we can root for them. And I guess mm. that we're talking about that, aren't we? Because Clara is likable she and Carmel, is. Carmel is not. And Car- Yeah, yeah. And Car- Carmel is very, very not likable, but she's very interesting. Like right from the first, yeah. you know, time she appears. Because, okay, like I said, terms of voice. Chapter one, Clara Rinker. So then yeah. we go through, you know, we kind of learn who Clara Rinker is. And then, uh, then we get to... Um, you know, and there's a whole thing where she goes and she does this hit. And then we just get to another, you know, two word sentence, Carmel loan, full stop. Carmel was long, sleek and expensive, like a new Jaguar. And <laughs> it like just, yeah, like right away, she's not yeah. likable, but she's interesting. Yeah. But do you think like if we were to read a book that was just Carmel loan and there weren't these other characters who we found likable, would we have cared enough to keep reading the book? If it was just Carmel, would we have just gone, oh, I'm a bit sick of this one? Like, it's hard to say, isn't it? I don't know. I think Carmel, maybe she's likable in her unlikability. Like, I think her, her <laughs> like, how, re- how, how revolting she is is fascinating because we recognize her though, right? Like, we recognize, we recognize her as a, as a type of person yep. who's like just very self-interested and, but very clear. Like, so this is, this is, I, I have this sentence highlighted because I love it. On the second of the three unluckiest days in Barbara Allen's life, Carmel Lone decided that she was truly, genuinely, and forever in love with Hale Allen, Barbara Allen's husband. Yeah, that's and, so she, such a good opening, man. Like, I love that that frame, how we put that oh, opening is really clever. Oh, just just the voice of that just makes me so happy. Yeah, and 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 we and we we do we jump into a lot of different characters' heads. Like, it's mainly Rinker, uh, Carmel, and Davenport, but we do we jump into other characters' heads. Like, when it suits the story, to have a different perspective. Like, there's yeah. one scene at the end where um, Car- Carmel has um, had a very spectacular death and it's on the news. And Rinker at that time is, she's escaped, she's in another city. And there's a man working in a, in a shop um, and he's watching TV in, in the shop and Rinker comes in and, he see, and we see her from his perspective. He doesn't know who she is. She's just a, yeah. you know, an, an unattractive woman who has come into his shop, but we see her reaction to the news through his eyes. And that's yeah. the only time we see that character. Yeah, it's kind of cool how he does that. Like, I, uh, whenever I'm setting up a book structurally, I always, I, maybe I get a bit rigid with that stuff, but I really like a really consistent frame. But for him, he just sort of seems to pick and choose and just go where he feels led and sort of makes the most, because that is a more interesting scene from that guy's perspective, because then this mysterious mm-hmm. woman comes in. That's way more interesting than if it was just Clara walking in and we get to see everything from her perspective. So the lack of restraint structurally sort of allows him to do those really interesting little quirky things, make the book way more engaging, I guess. Right. Mm, mm. And I don't know if it's something he did, because I'm tr- thinking back to his first book and which I read fairly recently. 
And I think that was more like just in just in Davenport's head and then just in the villain's head, I think, from memory. So I think as he, you know, once once you've got once you're on the New York Times bestseller list multiple times, I think you get to experiment a bit more. Yeah, listen, but I, a, I, I, yeah, he's just a master of style. Yeah, he is. It was a really good book. I really am appreciative that I that I've read it. Um, will I read more Lucas? I, well, I might actually. Yeah, go on. Oh, let, oh, let me know. Let me know. There's, oh, you've got to read. You've got to read the next Clara Rinker one. Which is which one? Which is Mortal Prey. Mortal which, Prey. Uh, Mortal Prey. The prey, the, the and prey there's, thing there's a, a bit, hint in the, the title. The prey, the prey thing gets a little funny. Hey, like I was reading through some of them, and they're like, there were some funny ones where it's just like they just had to cram that word prey <laughs> next to another word. It's like what? What was at least ocean prey? Yeah, the ocean prey. There's one called storm prey. Can I just highlight a few other things that I just yeah, yeah, absolutely love? Absolutely right. Um, okay, so. One thing I just, again, like, I just, I do respect uh, Sanford for playing with, you know, conventions and stereotypes because he's got this little girl, she's about six years old. And when we meet her, she's playing with trucks and a bulldozer. And then she's talking to the cops about how she's got a tractor, but what she really wants is the grain truck to go with her combine. And then when they're, when they're like, oh, can we interview you? She's like, well, can I ride in a police car? Like, I just like, I love this little girl. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I just want to give an example of Stanford's humor. Uh, so so Sam, uh, Davenport goes to Washington and he stays at this hotel called the Hay Adams. And he writes, he liked the Hay Adams because the half dozen times he'd stayed there, even the first time, the doorman said, nice to see you again, sir. <laughs> <laughs> just, like little, just like little things he drops. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, I really just enjoy, I just enjoy it. Yeah, he, yeah, I'd say out of anything, like if you had to sum him up, I think he's really fun. Like it's a fun mm. read, even though it's violent and coarse and full on in a lot of different respects. It is a fun, just riveting, yeah, like a guilty kind of pulpy pleasure, I think. It's a really fun book. Um, but, and it's smart though, but it's also, I think that's the Oh yeah, thing, for sure, for smart. sure. Because he even at one point, Clara and because this isn't, you know, oh, and this is another thing I love about the books is like Davenport's from Minneapolis and which is an American city I know and I love. And it's the same sort of they have similar weather systems to Winnipeg. And it's the same uh, similar yeah. vibe, similar people, kind of like that whole Fargo vibe. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And so they, he so Clara Rinker and uh, Carmel Lohn are out on the highway somewhere, you know, in the countryside. And. Carmel starts talking about this, like, so Sanford works in this acknowledgement of a massacre of First Nations peoples that happened there. Yeah. Just, like, slips that into the narrative. Just, like, knock, knock, hey, here's a reminder of, like, real violence that's been done, like, in the place where I'm telling the story. Yeah, like, they're not, yeah, they're certainly not, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, it is, he sneaks a lot of things in the back door. He actually won a Pulitzer for, I think, working on... Yes. Um, so he wrote a few, he was nominated for one Pulitzer and then he won for something else. I did have mm. that written down somewhere. Yeah. He was nominated for the Pulitzer and won another time. And they were mostly, um, I think it was for journalism on, um, the first nations people in North America. I think I'm not really yeah. sure of the exact quality of the subject, but maybe that's where a lot of the books that he writes does have a little, a bit of framework in that area. Cause he's actually done a lot of journalism in that area which is kind of cool. And his second book is called Shadow Prey. And he 
he has an introduction to that one where he talks about how like what he tried to do really did not work in his earlier drafts and he had to completely change it but he was really trying to um, bring awareness to like the situation you know that First Nations peoples were living in you know in the early 90s and that part of the world and um, and and it like he talks about how he couldn't quite make it work because he said like an like a social justice book isn't a novel and a novel isn't social justice book. like you can have social justice in a novel but it's still got to have a plot and it's still got to have oh, yeah. narrative drive so but in, in doing that then in doing that then he writes characters from like you know first nations people's point of view which like i think today like i wouldn't recommend that book at all but um no. his, his newer stuff he, he, it's not something that he continued doing yeah yeah so again when we went back like he's sort of grown a bit as he's as the world's grown, so has he, which is kind of cool. It's a bit of a reflection over in one book series, you know, the the mm, yeah. appearing of a and man. Because <laughs> yeah, we we and like Davenport ages, like we like we age alongside him. His career develops, like he's had this like really fascinating career. Like now he's a U.S. Marshal, which I just love because it makes me think of my absolute favorite character of all time, which is uh, uh, Iconic. Do you know the movie Con Air? Of course. Are you serious? We should have done the podcast on Con Air. <laughs> um, do you know the podcast? How did this get made? How did this get made? I have heard of it. No, I haven't listened. Oh, to their episode on Con Air is the best thing you will ever hear in your I should life. It's amazing. I love Con Air. I love it. U.S. Marshal. Yeah. yeah. So, um, John Cusack's a U.S. Vince Larkin, Marshall, right? who's played Vince by Larkin. Um, yep. Yes. Yes. Who's played by. John ah, thank yes, thank you, John Cusack. Yeah, yeah my, he's he's my favorite. He's my favorite. What you gotta be there? Yes. For, you gotta be there. No, you gotta be there for Nick Cage with his southern accent, oh. with his white singlet <laughs> and his long hair, looking cool. That is where it's at. There's Nick Cage <laughs> jumping over the plane, getting explodes. You know, getting his getting his friends. What did he get? His friend had the he had to have the epipen. What was it? I forget. Oh, no, he was a diabetic. He was a diabetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. He had to have his insulin. That's it. So he had to get mm, it from a... Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because after the plane crashes on the strip in Vegas, then they still have the fire truck chase. I think that's really what makes that movie is the fire truck chase. <laughs> Where they're riding motorbikes and Bing, Bing Rames is driving the the fire truck. And Cyrus the virus gets squished by like a weird compactor thing. And he's hanging off it with one arm. And there's an explosion with sends of money. This, I feel, (laughs) I feel like that movie is like this book. Like the tone is similar. I would Mm -hmm. say, right? Like if, I mean, if we had to sort of try to segue back into talking about the book again, I feel, (laughs) I feel like, like it's fun. But it's got some really cool characters. It's got some really interesting yeah. things to say. Yeah. I think Conair did. I think I think the only thing is I think certain prey sticks a bit closer to reality. I think Conair was like, oh, this is out there. I don't know if you right. can crash a plane on the strip like that and still uh, get out of the plane. How dare you? That's don't slight on Conair. That's a very realistic movie. <laughs> oh right, I forgot it was a documentary. Yeah, remember? No, remember Steve Buscemi? How he has like the Hannibal Lecter thing on? <laughs> You're talking about Connor. 
This is the best possible thing that could have happened. You've gotten to the core of who I am, Ben. Like all this oh, yeah. other stuff I do in the world, whatever. This yeah. is the core of who I am. Oh, me too. I I I had Conair. I've I've VHS recorded it off Channel Ten, <laughs> and I had I had a collection of them. I, by the way, the best three run of any actor in history is Nick Cage, where he went the Rock. Face off and Conair, and he pulled those three off in a row. What a triple! The some of the best action films ever, three in a row. Nick Cage playing different characters in each of them. Amazing man. <laughs> Can't be outdone by Vince Larkin though. John Cusack has been Larkin. See, I don't know whether I'm behind the Vince Larkin love. I don't know whether I'm as <laughs> like I love Vince Larkin, but he's just a bit. Out of Con Air, you've got the whole plane full of cons and you pick Vince Larkin, the straight-laced marshal. I just love how he just shows up. He's like, well, I guess this is up to me to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) He does too, doesn't he? And remember he he steals Cole Meany's, like, really nice car because he's a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! So, in conclusion, go watch Con Air. Go watch Con Air and go read John Sanford. In conclusion, because it is. I'm fun. so like, glad. I did enjoy it. I've actually like this will probably be uploaded. I think at this stage it'll be next year in January. I think this one will be uploaded. But this first year of doing this podcast, I have read so many books I would never have read before, which is kind of my sneaky way of why I did the podcast was just like reading all these really cool books. I really need to read more Lucas Davenport. I think like, it's so cool. Like there's 30 more that I can read now mm. or listen to maybe. Well, try, try the audiobooks and tell me, yeah. Tell me what you think. I will. Do you smell books? Is that just my thing? Does everyone do this? No. Yeah. yeah I love it. I love it. My dad. Oh, I, I used to work in a secondhand bookshop. So oh, I like course. absorbed that scent into my skin. <laughs> The best smell smells like smells like good times mm-hmm. all right uh thank you ashley um you can check ashley out I'm, i'll put a intro that'll make more sense but ashley has about a billion things she does she's got her blog she's got her books and she's got her podcast as well um you can go do you want to say what your website is that might be the most useful place to go to yeah my website's ashleycollegianblunt.com and, uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, the podcast is James and Ashley Stay at Home and it's on all good podcast apps. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, check it out. And thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. Um, yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate the chat. It was really fun. Oh, thank you. So- thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about Sanford. I feel like this is the <laughs> highlight of my year. So thank you, Dan. Oh, thank well. you, Dan. It's fun. Well.